Anyway, three scriptures for you today. Um, and hopefully with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to weave them all together into one symbiotic, spirit-filled sermon. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7 is the first verse. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 32 is our second text. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead. Just real quick, what that simply means is you're not paying attention if you think all of just this just popped into existence by chance. Any thinking mind, any, any intelligent human being would understand as they look around that, that some mastermind, some super intellectual had to be behind the entire design that we see on the planet. That's basically what that means. So that they are without excuse. In other words, everybody ought to know just by looking around. And if you look at stuff like buildings and, 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 and nature and you don't see God in that, look over at your neighbor. And if you don't see God in a person, again, I, I don't know what has gone intellectually wrong with you. Because people are so intricate and so, fi- I mean, think about the cells in people and think about, you know, uh, the brain in people and the heart. I mean, to, to think that that just all of a sudden just evolved out of soup. Is not really that smart, but that's a subject for another day. It says, because they are without excuse. Because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to become wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their woman exchanged the natural use For what is against nature, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing that which is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting or convenient or beneficial, being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. And before you raise your eyebrow at somebody else, you were once in that list. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And then lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people, turn 
away today. See that I got it right. Today, in our series, Alternate Universe, where we're using that phrase to describe the crazy world that you and I are living in, in the middle of the most unusual year of my lifetime, 2020. I want to minister to you on the subject of fear to which we should all adhere. A fear to which we should all adhere. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, by your grace, by your power, by your mercy, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, by the wisdom that comes only from heaven, would you minister to the hearts of each person individually, collectively, and powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we find a list of signs that the Holy Spirit details for us that would be indicators that we are living in the last innings as we've referred to them over the last days. This list is not exclusive, but I would contend that it is a pretty exact description of the times that you and I are living in right now and is so spot on that the list is pretty much identical to the list given to us in Romans chapter 1. Last week we delved into the first sign on the list that men will be lovers of themselves or we will live in a society as a whole filled with people who will worship self above everything else where times will come where people will no longer care what is right or wrong or what is helpful for somebody else or what is good for the good of the nation or the country, where people will now just judge things based on how does this affect me. And that has always been the human condition because the human condition has always been full of self, but we will enter into a period of time where self will be exalted at a level that we have not seen before, worshippers of self. And we looked at that last time, but I want to delve into a second sign and hopefully craft it together what God wants to say to you in this list, and that is that men will be proud. Proud. What exactly does this mean? The word proud is, is the Greek word hupophanos, and it describes a person or a people group that sees themselves as intellectually superior to everyone else in an arrogant, haughty, impudent, snooty way. Taking a step further, this word describes people who believe that they are so intellectually enlightened that they have the right to set the agenda for everyone else and anyone who doesn't agree with them is just not progressive or enlightened enough, i.e. cancel culture. This word describes people who believe that they are so intellectually enlightened that they and only they have the right to set the record straight on what is and isn't morally right or wrong and to set a new moral code for the world. But here is what is really whack about these intellectually woke folk. And that is their intellectual superiority intentionally downplays, diminishes, and discounts God. And so this enlightenment is no more than a reworking of moral standards where biblical truth is cast off, rejected, vilified as bigoted, hateful, narrow-minded, prejudiced, intolerant, and no longer applicable in the real new world. This is made clear to us in Romans chapter number 1, where the Holy Spirit says this, because although they knew God, Notice this phrase, new God. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And this word new here does not mean no God like you and I who are believers and Christians and believers of the Bible and trust the Bible actually know God. This doesn't talk about intimate relationship with God, but rather this word 
divinely selected by the Holy Spirit, literally talks about a general acquaintance with God. You could say a God-fearing attitude. In other words, there was a time in which society as a whole, even though society wasn't wholly committed to God, but there was a time in which society as a whole had this general regard and respect and acknowledged that God's hand and God's blessing was needed and essential and upon society. And we will enter into a time in the last days in which those that once knew God had this general regard for And this general attitude that was a reverential fear toward God would disappear. And the Holy Spirit divinely uses the phrase new as in past tense to let us know that there has been a straying away from this necessary God-fearing attitude and to let us know that those who think they are intellectually superior and, and, and when they do not retain God... In their intellectual superiority, they become no more than, notice the word, foolish. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And the word foolish in the original language is the Greek word moreno. Moreno. Where we get the word moron from. And so what God is telling us very, very clearly here is that when we don't retain a fear of God in our intellectual superiority, which seems smart, we actually become like morons. Are are you tracking with me? This is going to get good. And not only do we act and track like morons when we don't retain a fear of God, even though we may have degrees and PhDs and this and that and the other thing behind us because sometimes there is more to intellectualism than just the kind of degrees that you have. But it says that our foolish hearts, their foolish hearts would be darkened. And the word hearts here does not refer to the physical chamber inside a human being, but it it refers to the heart or the conscience of society. And notice what it says, what happens to a society that doesn't retain a reverential fear toward God. They become morons and their foolish hearts, their collective consciousness becomes darkened. This refers to physical and spiritual darkness that spawns depravity, immorality, and many other godly behaviors. We need to face, this is the reality of man without God. That when the knowledge and the fear of God is removed, a vacuum is formed causing intellectual and spiritual darkness to flood and fill the void. And I've shared with you this before in this series. This is not a political thing. This is a demonic thing. This is not a political thing. The political thing is the system, one of the systems. There are seven major systems in the world. I don't know if you all know this, but there are seven major systems in the world. And those systems, depending upon how they are used, can either be used to benefit mankind or to destroy mankind. And one of the systems of the world is the governmental systems of the world. And this governmental system at this time, along with other systems that have been for years and years and years and years, even though some people don't like to talk about systemic things, because they're ignorant if you really want to know the truth, these systems become the influencing factors 
that distort the minds and hearts of people. And so what happens is the enemy uses these strategies to wage war against the human race, to effectively, to adversely affect people's thinking, damage them mentally, and distort their minds so they no longer can see what is wrong with wrong. And this is what the scripture is talking about in Isaiah as it prophesied the time will come when people will call good evil and evil good. They will turn darkness for light and light for darkness. It's also what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is talking about when it refers to Satan blinding the not hearts but the minds because if you can blind the mind, you can darken the heart. This is so good. I hope I'm not up here for you right now, but I'm going to bring it down. When we lose the fear of God... Romans says that we wind up doing things which are not convenient, things that are not in our best interest, things that are not morally right, things that ultimately lead to our individual and collective destruction, things that are the plan of the enemy. Remember the words of Jesus, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have a life and have it more abundantly. And what the scripture is teaching us here in these scriptures when you take them as a whole is that when a culture loses or society or people or civilization loses the fear of God, that civilization becomes a civilization that no longer has a conviction of sin and we become numb to the consequences and we become distorted in every single way and we become open game for the enemy to have his way. But when we maintain the fear of God, understanding, generally speaking, that there is God's hand as a necessity to be on the human race, we are able to walk in the wisdom of God and experience the life that God wants us to have. Matter of fact, in direct contrast to the claims of intellectual enlightenment by the powers that be in our world, the scripture says in Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When we have a genuine fear for the Lord, when we walk in the wisdom that our crazy world is currently lacking, then we understand things. And let me preface, I'm going to cut both ways in a minute here. Then we understand things like justice is important to Jesus. We understand that we were all made in the image and likeness of God. We understand that life does not begin in the womb, but begins prior to the womb in the mind and heart of God, even before conception happens in the womb. When we have a fear of God, we understand that gender is a gift given to us at birth by our Creator, that marriage is between a male and a female, that prayer belongs in school, that honoring authority is ordained by God, that any theory that robs a whole race from being created by Almighty God should not be referred to as science, but should be referred to as absolute garbage. When we have a fear of God, we will treat each other with the love of a neighbor regardless of our race, religion, sexuality, or politics. When we have a fear of God, we will stand by one race even if it means the sacrifice of another race. When we have a fear of God, we will not allow our education system to poison the hearts of our kids without saying anything. And when we have a genuine fear of God, our allegiance is to God and Him alone, whether it is PC or popular. That's when we have a fear of God. But when we have no fear of God, we allow culture to set the standards of 
what is right and wrong? What is having a fear of the Lord? Simply put, it is respecting and reverencing God above all else. It is giving God the place of glory, honor, reverence, preeminence that he deserves. It's when we esteem his desires above our own. When we hate what he hates, love what he loves. It's when God holds the preeminent position in our lives and everything and everyone else is secondary. This is what it means to fear the Lord. It is not to be afraid of him, but it is to reverence him and defer to him and consider him smarter than we are. I want to give you four reasons why we ought to adhere to this fear. In a time where we are telling people to choose faith over fear, there is one fear that we must always adhere to, and that is the fear of God. And there's four reasons I want to share with you why the fear of God is necessary in our lives and in the lives of society in order to make it through these alternate times that we are living in. The fear of God helps us to live holy. Holiness. You haven't heard that word in church in how long? Man. It's almost like church people just, you know, what's holiness? I don't understand what that is. It's living right. As Christians, one of the things we strive to do is to live right before God. That's what we strive for. We don't set out to sin. We don't wake up going, I think I'll sin today. I think I'll do this today. I think I'll do that today. When we do sin, we we feel a prick in our conscience, right? If you don't feel a prick in your conscience when you sin, Jesus may not be on the inside. Because if Jesus is on the inside, he's working on the outside. Oh, what a joy in my life. Some of you remember that song. We don't sit out to do. We endeavor to live a holy and separated life before the Lord. But but we fall short. Sometimes over and over again. So much so that we can relate to what the Apostle Paul spoke about in Romans chapter 4. When he said this, he said, for what I, what I am doing, I don't understand. Anybody ever find themselves doing something going, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. I love Jesus. I don't understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice but what I hate that I do. Anyone ever been there? Why do we struggle so much living a godly and holy life? It's because we have lost our fear of God. And we've lost our fear of God because a fear of God has been removed from our society and from our culture. And the opposite of the principles of God and the opposite of a reverential fear of God has been pumped through every mainstream system that we operate in. And so subconsciously, we don't even realize it or not. The systems of this world, I wish I, I, I should just preach on world systems sometimes. Because can I, can I just tell you how many people are so ignorant when it comes to the systems of this world and what they've done in history and what they've done to the brain of mankind and what they've done to different people groups and so on and so forth. And because it's a political talking point, we want to disavow certain things. 
But see, my, my purpose is never to disavow what is truth. We need to stand by truth. And so, so because of these systems that have been pumped into our minds and into our hearts, we've lost our fear of God because they've been played out. These things have been played out in front of us that they, they have altered the way in which we see or think about things. And because we've lost our fear of God, we've lost the ability to live clean. Psalm chapter 19, verse number 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And this word clean is so powerful because it literally describes clean, a sacrificial offering. In the Bible times, a sacrificial offering was made in order to make the person who the offering was made on behalf of clean before God. And so we struggle so much physically, morally, and ethically because we've lost our fear of God. Because our relationship with the Lord, even in the church system, because religion is one of the systems of the world. Sadly enough, the enemy has used religion just as much as God has been able to use religion. And so what has happened is these things have infiltrated us and these systems have allowed us to get to a place where we've lost our fear of God, where we no longer appreciate God, where our relationship with God, let's face it, has been reduced to what can God do for me? That is the basis of our relationship with God. And you know if you've been here any length of time that I preach and believe that God wants to do more for you than you want to do for you. That's fact. But I've also found out that you don't really even have to ever seek after the things that you want God to do for you. That if you'll just have a reverential awe and fear of God, if God will be first in your life, if you will submit to God, hate what he hates, love what he loves, God will just do for you. And you'll be like, wow, where'd that come from? God's like, that's just me. Just want to bless you. See, we've lost our fear of God. We've lost our ability to live clean because of that. Let me put it to you in these terms. I don't, I'm not faithful to my wife because I'm afraid of her. Although I do understand that. Some women will cut you. I'm not faithful to my wife because of what she can do for me. Although I do understand that too. But I'm faithful to my wife because I love her and my family and my children even more than my own life. And because of the reverence, the respect, the honor, the awe, I am faithful to my wife. It is the way that I hold her, the regard that I have for her, that motivates my behavior. The same is true of God. When God holds that kind of position in our life, it is not the fear of God getting me. It is not the fear of God correcting me. It is not the fear of something bad happening to me that motivates me from li for, to live for God because we all know that really doesn't work. And the reason why it doesn't work is because there is not always an instantaneous slap for something that we do wrong. And so in our subconsciousness, we do something wrong. We'd be like, oh, God ain't going to get me for that. And then we do it wrong again. God ain't going to get me for that. Oh, I can still come to church, sing hallelujah, say hallelujah, say praise the Lord. Look at me. I'm, and I can keep on acting on and carrying on. The Bible talks away in the, talks about in the end times, there'll be a departing from the faith. It is not just a decision to leave. It is a, 
And, and, and this is what happens when we, when we do and we got away with that. 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 Before we know it, we've lost our fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord helps us to live holy. But number two, the fear of the Lord helps us to maintain a strong moral compass. We've pointed out so many times in this series that our world has lost its moral compass and now we commonly call things that are wrong right and right wrong and it's even true in the church. If I could just be honest with you, the church is just as crazy as the world. And even sometimes more crazy because religious people that are worldly are just crazy. They have a form of Godliness. See, you thought that was talking about them. Now it's talking about you. And you're like, oh no. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. One example of this is I just can't believe it. Back in the day, man, you you try to hide your sin from your elders. You don't want them to find out about it. Nowadays, the kids just walk in the church. Hey, Pastor, this is my bay, this is my bow, and yeah, we live together. We just bought an apartment together down. Have no problem with no, no red face, no embarrassed, no like, no like expecting the pastor to say, hey, why don't you come on into my office? Let me talk to you about that. It's commonplace. Parents celebrating the fact that their kid, oh, yeah, our, our, my kids just moved in together. Church people. No, no sense of what the Bible says. No sense of right and wrong. No sense that the Bible talks about a husband and a wife being the ones who lay together. Not a, not a man and a woman. A husband and a wife. See, cause the church has devolved because we're tripping about everybody else into making sure we say, well, it's, it's man and woman. No, let me up you one. It's not man and woman. It's husband and wife. But we've lost our moral compass because we've tried to apply knowledge without the fear of God. Gone are the days, far from the days of I love Lucy. You remember I love Lucy? They were married, but Ricky had his own bed. I was like, what's wrong with this? And by the way, that's just as whack as being single and sleeping together. Oh, let me let me preach on this for a minute. Then there are married people coming, yeah, we, we got our own bedrooms. Yeah, we don't we don't sleep in the same bed. Like that's normal. It's no more normal than two unmarried people sleeping in the same bed. See, we've lost our moral compass because we've lost the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Knowledge means to know, to perceive, to discern, to have wisdom. The world's morality has gone mad because the only way to know right from wrong is to have a fear of God. See, we need to stop measuring up morality against political platforms. I didn't get a good amen on that. 
The church is measuring morality against political platforms instead of against the word of Almighty God. The question is, what does the word of God say about it? I don't care what the Democrats say about it or the Republicans say about it. What does the word of God say about it? And if that's not your question, you've lost your fear of God. And in the process, we've lost our moral compass. People fear culture more than they fear their creator. Which brings me to my third point about the fear of God. The fear of the Lord casts out all other fears. Ever met somebody who just waited around for the next bad thing that happened to happen to them? Bad things always happen to me. Who is that character? Eeyore? Why do bad things always happen to me? Psalm 31, verse number 19 says, How great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. When you have a fear of God, you don't wait for the next bad thing to happen to you. Even in the middle of bad things, you're waiting for something good to happen to you because God has stored up his goodness for those that fear him. Or maybe you know somebody who has a fear of never having enough and always being in want, maybe because of life and circumstances and situations and systems that have worked against them. Psalm 34, verse number 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Maybe you know somebody who fears making the wrong choice. I can't ever make a good choice, and I don't want to make a choice because it's always the wrong choice. Psalm 25, verse 12 says, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way of his choices. When you fear the Lord, your choices are ordained, are ordained to be good choices. How about maybe you know somebody who fears they'll never amount to anything? Psalm 145, verse number 19, He will fulfill the desires of those that fear him. When God is first in your life, when you reverence him, when he's preeminent in your life, when you defer to him, when you love what he loves and hate what he hates, God will fulfill the desires of your heart. What about those who fear their family will never be blessed? Psalm 128, verse number four. Verse number one, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and you shall, and shall be well with you. You know what that means? Anybody ever work, work, work and can never get ahead? I love you. You're so honest. Do you know one of the tricks of enjoying the fruit of your labor is? Have a fear of the Lord. When you fear the Lord, the Bible says you'll enjoy the labor of your hands. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. Praise the Lord. That's good stuff, isn't it? In the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. You know what the thing that blesses me more than anything in the whole world is? It's when... My whole family's around the table. Biggest blessing in all the world. That's the blessing of the fear of the Lord. Blessed. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. When you fear the Lord, when you respect him and reverence him, when you give him the place of glory, honor, thanksgiving, praise, and preeminence that he deserves, when you esteem his desires even above your own, when you hate what he hates and love what he loves, you don't need to fear because the fear of the Lord casts away all other fears. Lastly, I want to share with you, the fear of the Lord is the key to friendship with God. Psalm 25, verse number 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. In life, you don't tell secrets to just anybody. You don't walk up to a stranger and go, Psst, I've got to tell you a secret. 
You tell, you tell your secrets to those that are closest to you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a best friend. Maybe it's a lifelong friend. When the Bible speaks of friendship, it's a much stronger word than we ascribe to friendship. Friendship in the Bible is about loyalty. It's about sticking by somebody in the good times and in the bad times. The Bible says a, a friend loves at all times, right? That's why when we get married, we say for better or for worse because we're not just going to be your lover for the rest of your life. We're going to be your friend for the rest of life. In other words, in good times and in bad times, I ain't going nowhere. When everybody else leaves, I'm going to be right here, rock steadfast, standing by you, by your side. When you can't get up, I'll pull you up. When you can't walk, I'll carry you. When you can't change your clothes, I'll change them for you. When you can't feed yourself, I'll feed you. That's what friendship is when it comes to the scripture. And God only called two people friends in the Bible, aside from anybody who's a servant who fears the Lord. But God referred to two people in the Bible as friends. One of them was Moses and the other one was Abraham. And for time's sake, I'm going to just tell you about Abraham. He was called a friend of God in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 7. It says, Abraham, your friend forever. I love that because if you're a friend of God, once you're a friend forever. Isn't that good to know? God's like, oh, I'm not reworking my friends today. If, if God, if you're a friend of God, he is your friend forever. You know the story. God promised Abraham when he was about 75, a son in his old age. It took a little minute. Abraham messed it up the whole time. You remember that? Abraham was like, yeah, I'll go ahead and sleep with my handmaiden. I got a, she ain't going to give me a child, so I'll go ahead and have a child with him. Sounds like America today. She don't give me what I need, so I go ahead and get it from this one. Got a little Abraham in us, don't we? Abraham messed it all up, but he eventually got it right. And that's the good news is if you mess it up, you can get it right again, right? When you mess up, it doesn't mean that you're gone forever. It just means that you gotta, you gotta own up. When you mess up, you gotta fess up, right? That's the problem with most people is they mess up, they don't wanna fess up, they wanna cover up. And if you, cover up instead of fess up, then you can't get over, you mess up. I sound like Todd Bishop from last week now. (laughs) I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, Todd, I love you. So he got back into it, and you remember, finally at 99 years old, God gave him the son of his old age. His wife Sarah was 90, and they had their their child, they had Isaac. Abraham loved Isaac more than anything on all the earth. It was his heart's desire, the son of his old age. The life of that boy meant more to him than his own life. Can you imagine Abraham's shock when God appears to him one day and says, I'd like you to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. And if you read the story, what's interesting is the Bible says Abraham saddled up his ass. Just wiping my sweat. In other words, he went immediately to obey. And, and the Bible reason, that says that Abraham reasoned that God was either able to provide a sacrifice or to raise the dead. But you can imagine, Abraham thinking, God, this is pretty, I would have never dreamed you would have asked for something this hard. It was a test. And Abraham knew God didn't make mistakes. By the way, we never know that we're in a test until after we're on the other side of a test. And so treat everything in life as a test because God is into retesting. (laughs) 
See, if you just treat everything as a test going in, you're like, I better pass this thing because I go around this mountain for like 40 years here. So God, I'm just going to pass this test the first time. So I didn't have to keep going around this thing, right? It was a test. It was a hard test. I remember the most difficult time in my life. We announced. I remember the day vividly. I was so excited. How many of you know excitement and disappointment can both happen on the same day? How many of you know blessing and attack can both happen on the same day? How many of you know that you can feel the grace of God and the attack of the enemy all happening at the same time? And I remember today, we announced we were going to sign the contract to go on worldwide television. Not the local channels, worldwide. And I got home, and my daughter told me she was involved in the worst relationship she ever could get involved in in her entire life. And it was destructive in every way. I'm so proud of her. She's out of that relationship. She's serving the Lord. She's getting about getting ready to marry somebody who's a good guy, who I love, my future son-in-law. But I remember when she was going through that, I said this to God. I said, God, if it's ministry on my daughter, you can have the ministry. It was a test. And in my heart, I didn't really fear the Lord like I should. I found out I worked through that because emotions happen, right? It's not your initial response, right? It's not how you start. It's how you finish, right? And the problem is some people stay in it too long. And he, I said that and I cried and I, and I did all sorts of things. And finally I said, I said, okay, God, I'll serve you no matter what. It was a test. Have you ever had to say to God in a hard time, I'll serve you no matter what. God, I'll serve you even if I didn't receive the promise that I was believing for. I'll serve you even if life has gotten rough for me. God, I'll serve you even if a marriage falls apart. I'll serve you if, even if a child goes, leaves this earth before I do. These are hard things. Not easy things. It was a test. Abraham is in the middle of the test and an angel of the Lord appears to him, stops him. And here's what the angel says. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know, listen, listen, listen. Now I know that you what? Fear God. Since you have not withheld your, withheld your son, your only son from me. This was a test about who was preeminent and what was preeminent in Abraham's life. And because Abraham feared the Lord, what does that mean? Not just because he obeyed, although obedience is a sign of fearing. If you don't obey God, you really don't fear God. Matter of fact, if you don't obey God, you don't love God. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He stops him. And then God shares a secret with Abraham. Do you know what a secret is? A secret is when something that, about God's character becomes embedded, imprinted on your heart and in your mind and in your soul. It becomes part of you for the rest of your life. Can't be taken from you. He shares a secret with him because he only shares the secrets with his friends. And his friends are only those who fear him. 
Genesis chapter 22, verse number 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went down, he took the ram, he offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. What was the secret? God shared an aspect of his character with him. And the aspect of his character that he shared with Abraham was this. Here's what Jehovah-Jireh really means. The God who sees in advance and provides. And so for the rest of Abraham's life, you say, Pastor, how long did he live? He was 99. They lived long in Bible times. For the rest of his life, Abraham lived with every time something came. God already saw this. But it wasn't just a head knowledge. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, pastor talked about that on Sunday and so I know this hasn't caught God by surprise. For Abraham was like... God's already saw this. Because I remember because at the exact spot that I was told to offer up Isaac, God had a ram waiting there. So that means God traveled to the place before I even arrived there. That he got there and he made sure everything was set up just the way it needed to be. So that if I obeyed, that I wouldn't be hurt, but rather I'd be blessed. And he said, you know what? I know who God is now. God is the one who sees in advance. And so now everything that came Abraham's way, he looked at it through a lens that only somebody who got a secret from God, and the only type of people that can get a secret from God are people that fear the Lord. And he said, God's seen this already. And if God saw this, I know I'm going to be okay I don't know who it's for but God's seen it I know it's shocking to you but God saw it God saw it and if God saw it it's going to be alright but here's my question for you here's our challenge in the midst of a crazy world Will you give God preeminence over everything? Here's how you can tell if God is, 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 is preeminent in your life. Can you watch your favorite politician and understand that some things that they're doing or saying are not right? Because if you're watching them, and you're going, yeah, yeah. And nothing that they're saying or doing is not registering wrong. You don't have a fear of God. You have a fear of a politician. You have a fear of a political party. Because can I tell you by the authority of the word of God, I'm not willing to put my name on either side as 100% right. Not willing to do it. Because I can't. You know why? I know this too well. I know this too well. And my allegiance is to this. Are you, are you ready to give God your allegiance over politics, over cultural pressure, over being politically correct, over, being, over how you're treated, over being liked, hated, or agreed with, it, over the way people treat you, even those who you don't agree with? Because listen, here's a reverence for God. When somebody mistreats me, Oh, I could do whatever I want to them. We don't, some of us didn't even know that that's wrong. Because we strayed so far away from our fear of God. Because my Bible tells me, bless those that curse me. Do good to those who despitefully use me. 
Why? So that I would be a son or a daughter of my Father who is in heaven, who makes it to reign on both the just and the unjust. I don't know where your Bible comes from, but my Bible has been authored by God, and it stands in the middle of even crazy times like this. I'm not siding with that out there. I'm siding with God and what He says in every and all circumstances. Let's let's return to a fear of the Lord. Let's come on back. You know, as I was praying in my office before this, that scripture kept coming up. I I said, Lord, do you want me to preach on it next week? I don't know, but I was thinking about it. How good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Brethren, how dare you hate your brother? How dare you hate your sister? Well, you don't know what they believe. You don't know who they voted for. Hmm. Can you show me that scripture? Come on, church. Not in God's house. Not amongst God's people. If, if, if you don't like what somebody says or believes, hug them. Kiss them. Holy kiss, by the way, holy kiss. Speak a kind word to them. Reason with them. Talk with them. Have a humble heart. Let's return to Christianity and a fear of the Lord. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?